Hey everyone, this is Anthony Fleming, Senior Pastor of Church Alive, praying that this message is fresh, real and powerful in your mind, your heart, your family, every part of your life. If you enjoy these messages, subscribe to it, share it with a friend to build their faith. God bless you as you lean in to the power and presence of God's Word. Welcome to church. My name is Steve. I'm one of the pastors on team here at Church Alive. And it's such an honor to have you with us today. Those of you joining us with us in person, also those of you joining online, welcome, welcome, welcome. Why don't you stand with me for a moment? We're going to read the word together. Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 to 9 says this. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And he was still speaking when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. So Father, we thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that there is nothing that can come against you. There is nothing that can take away from you. We thank you that you are God Almighty, King of heaven and earth, maker of everything. And yet you love us. You come to us where we are. You relate to us and you seek to empower us. I pray, Father, that every single person, Lord Jesus, would hear you today. That we would hear your voice. We would hear what you want to say through your word. And that, Lord, faith would come where it's been dormant. Faith will come where it's been non-existent. And that, God, you would impart something fresh, real, and powerful to your people today. Lord, we love you and we honor you and we welcome your presence in this place. And everyone said, Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You can have a seat this morning. Thank you, worship team. Can we honor our worship team for just a moment? They do such an incredible job. The transfiguration of Christ that we just read about is one of the most important moments in his earthly ministry. We see that there's many different symbols, many different things that we could pick apart about this moment in Christ's life. But one of the things that we see is that we hear the voice from heaven speaking and talking, the Father speaking about the Son. And we see that that only happened one other time when Jesus was baptized, right? When he was beginning his public ministry. He was baptized and it says in the Gospel of Mark that the heavens were torn open and the Holy Spirit descended on him and that they heard the voice from heaven confirming who Christ was. But this is an incredible moment for a lot of different reasons. But one of them is just for the disciples who were there. I mean, look at the Apostle Peter. He's standing there and he doesn't know what to do because Jesus is now glowing. His his glory has been revealed. It's not that they're seeing something that's not real or something that's symbolic. It's actually that they're seeing more of who Jesus is. It's like they're seeing more, a more clear picture of his power, of his majesty, of his glory. And they don't know what to do. And Peter's like, "I, I guess I'll make a tent for you guys, right? You're going to stay here for a while? But one of the things that's really important to note is who 
is standing there with Jesus. You know, you're, and you put yourself in Peter's position. Not only is Jesus now having this incredible revelation, this visual representation of his glory, but now all of a sudden he's talking to two dead people who you've heard about your whole life. That's a pretty trippy day. And so Peter now sees that he's speaking to Moses and he's speaking to Elijah. And what do these two men represent in this moment? Moses represents the law. So Moses was the one who God spoke to when they were out in the wilderness, who went up on Mount Sinai and received the Lord, uh, received the law from the Lord, and then communicated the law to God's people. So he represents the law, but he's also a priest. So we see in this moment that Jesus is up on a mountain, and in his glory, he's speaking to a priest. And then he's also speaking to Elijah. And Elijah is a prophet from the Old Testament who did some really crazy things that we're going to look at a little bit later today. So in this moment, we see Christ transfigured into his glory. And he's having a conversation with a priest. And he's having a conversation with a prophet. These two men being present with Jesus, it's significant. It is significant. And I want to take a look today at the ministry of each of them. And I want to look at how for Moses and Elijah, when they aligned themselves to what God was saying, when they heard the word, when they heard what God was saying to them, that it empowered a character trait that was already in them. You see, there's things that are inside of you that when God speaks, it is empowered to do something for him. It is empowered to go out and be a difference in this world. And I want to look at the character traits in each of them that was empowered simply because they listened to what God had to say. We all need to be empowered, don't we? Yeah. We all need to be empowered. We all need to touch a God in our lives to, be, to bring an impact into our family, into our workplaces, into the church, into the transform groups that we're a part of, into every aspect of our life. We need to touch a God to be on us, amen? amen. I want to tell you this morning, God empowers us to be walking miracles, bringing a touch of heaven wherever we go. He's given us the Holy Spirit to enable us to make a difference in the world, not by our own strength, but by his. Because thank God it's not all dependent on me. Right? Thank God it is not dependent on my own strength, my own capabilities. Do I cooperate with God? Yes. Do I bring my guests, my best? Yes. But at the end of the day, I partner with the all-powerful, almighty King of heaven. Thank you, Jesus, that he makes that available to us. So if you're taking notes today, the title of my message is, He is the God who empowers. So Moses, Moses was a Hebrew, but he was born in Egypt. And at the time that he was born, there was a decree throughout the land that any male children that were born would be thrown into the Nile to die. His mother didn't want that, obviously. So what she did was she made a little boat for him, a little raft, a little basket of reeds, and she placed him in there and he went along the Nile and an Egyptian princess found him. So he was raised in an Egyptian household. He was raised in Egyptian royalty, so to speak. But he always understood where he came from and that he was a Hebrew. Later on in his life, he saw an Egyptian taskmaster beating another one of his fellow Hebrews. And so Moses snapped and he killed the Egyptian and he buried him in the sand. And he thought he got away with it. But then a little while later, he found out that people knew about it. And so Moses ran away. He ran into another country. He went into another place where people didn't know him. People didn't know his past. People didn't know his history. People didn't know what he was guilty of. He was an immigrant in another land. And it was in that place that God spoke to him. And initially, he didn't want to hear it. He didn't want to deal with it. We're going to look at that today. But the first point that I want to share with you today is to be a walking miracle. We need 
obedience. To be a walking miracle, we need obedience. When the word came to Moses in this burning bush moment, he had a lot to say back to the burning bush. Between Exodus chapter 3 and chapter 4, we see God interacting with Moses and Moses being a little stubborn. Moses giving it a little bit of an... If a bush is on fire and it's talking to me, I'm probably going to listen to it. I don't know about you. Probably wouldn't argue with a burning bush. (laughs) And yet, what do we see? In Exodus chapter 3, verse 11, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Moses struggled with the same stuff you and I struggle with. He struggled with doubt. He struggled with a very poor self-image, but yet he heard and he continued to interact with the Lord. He says in this first one, who am I? Who do you think you're talking to? I murdered some dude and I ran away. I'm hiding. And you want me to lead your people? Who am I that you would even talk to me like that? Exodus chapter 3, verse 13, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What's his name? What should I say to them? Okay, burning bush. (laughs) You want me to go and tell them? Let's just say they want to know who's talking to them. What's your name? He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't understand what is happening in this moment. Exodus chapter 4, verse 1, Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. Okay, burning bush. Let's say I go and I tell them your name. They're not going to believe me. Who who am I? They're not going to listen to me. Exodus chapter 4, verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. Okay, burning bush, you're not getting the picture. I am not your man. I can't go do it. I am not eloquent. I am not smart enough. I don't speak well enough. They're not going to listen to me. And then finally, verse, Exodus chapter 4, verse 13, but he said, oh, my Lord, will you just please send somebody else? We've been going through this for long enough. Let's just cut to the chase. Just send somebody else. Have you ever felt like this? Have you ever read something in Scripture and felt like this? Have you ever heard in a private moment, or maybe heard through someone else speaking to you, and you know God's telling you something, and you're thinking, just go send somebody else. Just go send somebody else. I want to encourage you. That's how Moses' ministry started. It was with these five complaints, these five retorts, these five excuses that we see. He gave back to God, back to God, back to God, back to God. But God is faithful to the character trait that he wants to empower in you, that he will persist, that he will continue speaking to you. It is when we choose to be obedient that we see real breakthrough happen. You see, Moses decided to listen eventually. He listened. And what do we see come out of the life of this man? Because he listened. The ten plagues descend on Egypt and Pharaoh releases Israel. We see the parting of the Red Sea and the deliverance of the Hebrews from Egypt. We see the healing of God's people with a copper snake on a staff. We see the splitting of a rock and water coming forth. And we see the mediating of the law between God and man. And this is just a couple things. Each one of those on their own is miraculous enough. And yet we see because he listened and he chose to obey that there's incredible fruit that comes out of his life. And that tells me something very important. An obedient heart is fertile ground for faith to grow in. An obedient heart is fertile ground for faith to grow in. 
You know, you're, right now we have this incredible thing called the Believe and Build Foundation here at Church Alive. And it is the way that we continue to grow and we continue to empower ministries outside of our own church. But way back when it first started, it was called the Believe and Build Initiative. And I remember when we first did this, it was our first capital campaign ever. And my wife and I took three days at the beginning of it to pray and to think about what would be the amount that we would contribute above our tithe and offerings, right? And so we prayed for three days and God gave me a significant number, a significant number for where we were. And my wife kind of does the budget, like I'm involved in it, but she does the number crunching and she pays the bills because we like having power on at her house, you know, and thank God we, it's not dependent on me because it'd be bad. So we let her do that, right? So in my head, I'm like, there's no way she's going to approve this number. Sure, I'll use that number. Three days later, we get together in the evening, and I'm like, you got your number? Yes. Okay. And I was like, I'm going to count to three. And on three, we're just going to blurt it out. And she's like, all right. And I say, one, two, three. Number. We shout out our number. She starts to cry, and I stand there dumbfounded because it's the same number. That number was all of our savings almost to the dollar that we could accumulate in two years. And I stood there and I had a choice. And when she said her number, my stomach dropped. Because I'm like, shh, oh no, it's really you. <laughs> what are we going to do? <laughs> but I'll tell you something, as I thought about it, I knew if we didn't, honor God with what he had put on our hearts, I felt disobedient not doing it. I knew that he said it, and I knew if he said it, there was a reason for it. And so we committed to that. And we actually, over a two-year commitment, we paid it off a month early because we were able to really push it together. I remember that last, that last payment. I remember I was like, can we hit the enter button together on your computer? She's like, yeah. So we had it set up, and we both like, you know, like, one, two, three, enter, you know. The choice to be obedient brought fruit in that season of my life, and it set in motion obedience in my family. It is something that we live, and it started because we heard something that challenged us, but we chose to be obedient in that season. So how do we become obedient? Well, like I said, part of it is a choice, right? You can choose what you do and don't do. At the end of the day, you, you have a choice. But it goes much deeper than that. I was on my way to church this morning and I almost ran over a squirrel. <laughs> you know when they run out into the street with the little tail sticking straight up and they get in the middle and you're approaching it and it's like at the yellow line and it's like, and you're like, squirrel, you better go because I'm not stopping. I got a car behind me and I'm not getting into a fender bender this morning to not crush you, dude. And then it ran away. Thank God I didn't have to deal with that this morning. That would have been upsetting. But how many of us continue to flirt with a line that we're not supposed to? We push it. We get close enough to it. We dance around it because we think we can do it. And then ultimately, sometimes we backtrack or unfortunately, sometimes we completely cross it. Obedience boils down to a choice. Obedience boils down even deeper than that, though, because it's a matter of the heart, isn't it? In John chapter 14, verses 15 to 17, Jesus said this, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, and he'll be with you. 
If you've taken freedom before, this is going to ring a bell. If you haven't taken freedom before, one of our transform groups, I encourage you to sign up with us this semester. But if you look at verse 15, let's look at verse 15 for a moment. If you look at this verse, that comma is very important. And you will read this verse one of two ways, depending on how you were raised, depending on how you approach God, and depending on your understanding of your relationship with him. Because you could read it from a religious point of view. You could read the scripture and Jesus said, if you love me, you're going to do what I'm telling you to do. You're going to obey me. If you love me, you're going to be obedient. You're going to listen. And that comes out of a religious approach to the Lord, right? And maybe sometimes we feel like this, right? We feel like we haven't done enough for the Lord. We feel like we haven't earned his affection, right? But in reality, we should read this from a life-giving perspective because our God is full of grace and full of life, right? What Jesus is saying here is he's saying, if you love me, if you love me first, you wind up doing what I've commanded you to do anyway. It is when you allow your heart to align with mine that I make it softer, that I make it inclined to hear me, and it is in that environment where I'm, I have a soft heart and I'm, and I'm listening to the Lord that I simply live out what he's commanded us to do anyway. It is a matter of the heart. And the other thing that that scripture shows to me is that you and I need to spend time with the Holy Spirit. He is a God who is present. Jesus actually told his disciples it was better that he'd go away so that the Holy Spirit could come to us. And so I want to tell you that God is available. He is imminent. He is there. He is close at hand and he hears you. And you and I need to make it a habit to spend time with him. If our relationship with both Jesus and the Holy Spirit is increasing in love, in intimacy, and in hearing, then our obedience will increase. Elijah was also there with Jesus on the mountain. And maybe you're a little bit less familiar with Elijah. He was a prophet from the Old Testament. But he was very significant. And he accomplished some significant things for the Lord. He is actually important enough that the writers of the New Testament refer to him 28 different times, which is very significant. And so I want to look at a couple of the miracles that are attributed to the life of Elijah. Just look. He caused the rain to cease for three and a half years. He was fed by ravens. He had a miracle of a jar of flour and a barrel of oil that continued to reproduce so that they could continue to use it. Resurrection of the widow's son. He called fire from heaven on an altar. He caused it to rain. He had a prophecy that Ahab's sons would all be destroyed. He had a prophecy that Jezebel would be eaten by dogs. Bummer. He had a prophecy that Ahaziah would die of his illness. He called fire from heaven upon the first 50 soldiers. And then he did it again. And he called fire from heaven upon a second 50 soldiers. He parted the Jordan. He had a prophecy that Elijah would have a double portion of his spirit, and he was caught up to heaven in a whirlwind. It's not metaphorical. He didn't die. God took him. <laughs> That's Elijah. But what does James say? James 5, 16, 18. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Another translation of that verse says, the fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man avails much. Fervent, effectual, continuing, persevering, going through, right? And then it says this, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Yeah, that entire list is true. But he wasn't just in this league all by himself necessarily. He was a human, 
just like you, just like me. He was a man just like us, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. He was a man just like you and I. He had struggles just like you and I did. He dealt with doubt. He dealt with all of the things, and yet he embodied a key characteristic that enabled him to push through adversity. And the second thought I want to share with you today is, to be a walking miracle, we need persistence. To be a walking miracle, we need persistence. 1 Kings 18, verses 41 to 46 says, And Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of rushing rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink. And Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. I thought for the longest time it was Mount Caramel. (laughs) I was like, oh, it's a sweet mountain. I thought I had something to do with that. No, Mount Carmel. Anybody else thought that before? Am I alone? There was one guy in the first service. Me and him had a, my man. Me and you. It's me and you now. So he bowed himself down to the earth and he put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, go up now and look toward the sea. And he went up and he looked and he said, there's nothing. And he said, go again seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and the wind, and there was great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. He didn't let doubt get in the way of what God was trying to do in that moment. He had his servant look, and I wonder if part of it was so that he could remain focused on prayer, but part of it was so that he wouldn't see that there was no cloud the first six times. He wouldn't allow himself to be distracted from the task at hand until he saw breakthrough come. There was once I had an interesting experience with the Lord. I was going to a job site, and I do environmental consulting. And I was going to a gas station, and I had to collect some soil samples. And I I stopped at a red light. I was about 15 minutes away, and I looked at the radar. And you know how you have, like, blue, green, yellow, red? There was a red blob heading straight for this gas station. And when you're collecting soil samples and doing paperwork, the last thing you want to do is be working in in, in an absolute downpour. It's messy. And so I literally just kind of said, Oh, Lord, it'd be great if it wouldn't rain where I was going. And I felt a check from the Holy Spirit say, do you think I could do it? And I went, and it felt like I was like, oh, Lord, you can. And I actually felt challenged to pray about it. So I prayed and I said, Lord, I pray, Father, that, that, that rain would, would, would not impact my ability to do my job. And as I was praying that, a raindrop hit my windshield. And I felt my heart drop, Honestly. And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, just because it's raining here doesn't mean it's raining there. Have faith. And I prayed again. I said, thank you, Lord, that you can hold back the rain from where I'm going. And I pray, Father, that you would hold back the rain until I finish doing what I came to do. I get to the job site. I can see rain. And it's not raining there. And I'm like, (laughs) cool. And I get out and I start doing my job, right? And it didn't take too long. And I sat in my car. And when I sat in my car, it poured. I sat down and it opened the heavens. And I was like, (laughs) this is cool. Awesome. And it was just a moment with me and the Lord. Fast forward to later that afternoon, I'm driving to another job site and I start to feel a fever blister coming out on my lip. And if you've ever had a fever blister, 
you feel it starting to come out. And it's like this mixture of itchiness, stingy pain, and like, and, and you just feel it. And then you can feel the actual blister starting to come out. And it's just, I have had these things my whole life. Isn't it funny that things that have been around our whole life, we just accept and we don't try to challenge them sometimes. And so because God stopped rain, I felt this blister coming out and I literally thought to myself, wait a minute, you're the God who stopped rain. You can kill a fever blister. And I prayed in my car and I said, I rebuke this fever blister in the name of Jesus. I pray, Father, you would prevent any cell, unhealthy cell and virus from replicating right now. And that, Lord, in your name, you would heal my lip. I felt that blister go back in my lip when I said that. I felt it go away. And I have not had a fever blister since. I had someone come up to me after first service when I shared this. And she said that in a moment of prayer with somebody, she came against migraines that had plagued her for years and taken away her joy, and she has not had one since. Our God is a God who heals. Our God is a God who will get rid of congenital things. He will deal with anything. I don't care how long it's been in your life. But my point is this. I saw him stop the rain. So then the fever blister looked different. And when you continue to push through and persevere in prayer, the things that have been attached to you for way too long start to look different because you have persisted. I went back to that job site a year and a half later because we had ongoing work to do and it was forecast to rain and I hadn't exactly gotten into a habit of rebuking the weather. <laughs> I wasn't going to birthday parties like, hey, Pastor Steve, we got one coming up, it's going to rain. <laughs> and it was supposed to pour that day and I was going to be there all day. It wasn't an in and out type of thing. So I brought a tent with me. It didn't rain. <laughs> you know when it rained? when I sat in my car at the end of the day. And I literally felt the Holy Spirit say to me, did you think I could do it again? Now, again, I have not gotten into the habit of rebuking the rain every time I work outside. But in that season, God was showing me something very significant. He was saying, I am real. I hear you. And when you listen to me, it empowers something in you to accomplish something greater in you. It builds and it continues to build. And an area where we've had to persevere as a family has been in the area of owning a home. I've wanted to own a home for a decade. And Believe and Build represented a challenge to that desire because I knew I had to stop saving for a deposit. And then over the years, things just weren't right. Either we didn't have the deposit or the income wasn't there and we didn't want to take on a mortgage and be irresponsible in case something were to happen. And so I would see people that you know, were my age and everything like that doing well and buying houses. And I was like, awesome! And then part of me would still think, didn't I give to believe in Bill Lord? Wasn't I obedient then? And so we started looking for a house at the beginning of the pandemic. Do not recommend. Bad idea. <laughs> Spent a year and a half looking, going. I've been in dozens of houses, four offers, rejected, and all of that. And on February 14th this year, we moved into our house. <laughs> and I'm telling you that because it's eight years Eight years after that initial believe and build contribution. Eight years of God working in me. Eight years of God working in my wife, Amanda. Eight years of God cultivating faithfulness in our family. Eight years of things increasing for us. So I want to tell you, you have to persevere. You have to push through. I, I do have unanswered prayer, just like all, many of you do probably. There's probably things you've been praying for for a long time. I've suffered from seasonal allergies my entire life. 
It has diminished my sense of smell to the point where I smell about 5% of a normal person, if that. It's impacted my taste. I am, I am a train wreck between April and June. I am sick. I am stuffy. My eyes get irritated. I get asthma. I'm allergic to all sorts of things. And I've prayed for them to go away. And guess what? They haven't. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't stop rain, and that doesn't mean that fever blisters don't die in Jesus' name. You have to resist the urge to look at the things that are unanswered with the, without neglecting the things that have been answered. Because what we do is we take this one thing, we put it up on a pedestal, and we say, why this? When we're ignoring all of the stuff he's already done. Persevering means that when I've prayed for something and it's no cloud, no cloud like Elijah, no cloud, no cloud, no cloud, no cloud, that I still believe that on the seventh time, there can be the cloud starting to form. And maybe it's you. Maybe it's you that you have to push through that one more time by faith, and you're going to start to see something start to shift. You are going to start to see the sign you've been waiting for. You are going to start to see that the answer could be the next prayer away for you. Elijah wasn't only persistent, but he was obedient. God met him in his needs. There was a moment where Elijah challenged 850 prophets of a false god to a duel and said, you set up an altar, I set up an altar. You pray to your God to send down fire and consume it. We'll see what happens. They spent all day praying and petitioning this false god Baal. Nothing. Elijah then says, my turn. He soaks his offering in water three times, saturates it. Then they dig a little trench around the altar. And they fill that whole trench with water. There's like a moat around the altar. He calls down fire from heaven once. <laughs> Spirit of God comes down, consumes that soaking wet sacrifice that shouldn't burn, and then laps up all of the water around it in the trench for good measure. Right after that, you just called down fire from heaven, and God answered you in front of 850 false prophets. Right after that, this horrible woman named Jezebel threatens his life, and he's terrified, and he runs, and he hides in a cave. And does God rebuke him for hiding? God meets him in his area of brokenness. God meets him in his area where he's vulnerable, and God still shows up to him in the quietest moment where he's by himself to give him what he needs to empower him to continue to persist when all hope seems like it's lost. God relates to you regardless of where you are. He shows up in the big, but he shows up in the quiet. We have to remember too that what we do in this world, it's not just about the now. Elijah had all of that crazy miracle list that I just read earlier. And yet his protege, Elisha, the one who came after him, accomplished double of what Elijah did. You and I have to understand that what God cultivates in you, it's not just for you and it's not just for now. It's for those who come after you. And it's for the generations to come that will find faith, strength, and blessing because of what you instituted in your family line, in friends, and in all the different places of your life. Jesus is unique in history because he embodied perfect obedience to the Father as well as persistence in the face of opposition. Jesus is our model and our guide. New Testament authors agree that we need to push through. 
The Apostle Paul said in Galatians 6, 9, let us not grow weary in doing good for in due season we will reap if we don't give up. And the author of Hebrews said in, verse, in chapter 12, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight, every weight, and the sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. When we combine obedience with persistence, we find increasing faith, we find increasing effectiveness, and more frequent moves of God in our lives. But maybe you're considering, what is a miracle for you? I'm not just talking about the wow miracles, the flashy miracles, the calling fire down from heaven miracles. I'm talking about the miracles that happen every single day. I'm talking about the miracles that we see in this church. I'm talking about people who are depressed finding joy. I'm talking about families characterized by fighting who find peace and honor. I'm talking about people who have struggled financially finding financial freedom by honoring God and being good stewards of his resources. I'm talking about life existing where it shouldn't. We had a woman in our church that was pregnant with twins. The doctor looked at those twins in the womb, said one of them was malformed and told her to abort it. A doctor said, this one's not good enough. Get rid of it. It's not gonna, it's not gonna be healthy. And by faith, her and her, her family, they said, no, we won't do that. And can I tell you that there's a healthy twin alive today? My son, my son just turned two. And uh, we had a scheduled C-section for him. We knew he, he was going to be a C-section. And yet, five days before the scheduled C-section at 3.30 in the morning, my wife wakes up and she starts going, and I'm like, are you okay? And she's like, yeah, I, I'm just a little out of breath. And she goes into the other room to get water. And I just get up because I'm like, she's in labor and denial. She's in both. We get to the hospital and within a couple hours he was born and I'm standing behind the veil when there's a C-section, she's behind the veil so she can't see anything. I'm sitting there talking to her and I hear, and there's doctors in this room, there's nurses in this room and I hear them say, all right, here we go. And then I hear them say, do you see that? 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 And I'm sitting on the other side of the veil. I'm like, see what? My son was born at 37 and a half weeks, five days before the scheduled C-section, with a complete knot in his umbilical cord. My wife had noticed a decreased amount of movement in the womb a couple days before, and the doctor told us that it would have been fatal within 24 hours. You tell me that's not a miracle? That God did something that in the moment seemed inconvenient, that was unplanned, He's good. He's good. We see cancer get healed in this church. It's across the world. We see jobs being found in terrible markets. We see homes being purchased. We see people getting set free from drugs and marriages restored. You can sit. I see some of you confused. Do we stand? Do we sit? Up, down, up, down, up, down. Maybe you're listening to this today. And your next step 
is to love Jesus more. To allow your heart to continue to be softened by the God in heaven who loves you more than anything. To grow in faith, to grow in trust, to grow in relationship with the Holy Spirit and continue to see in increasing measure God do things in your life and see faith come. But maybe for some of you, it's coming home in the first place. You see, Moses, for all of the incredible things that he accomplished, at the end of his life and at the end of his ministry, he had an outburst of anger and he was disobedient to what God had told him to do. And God said, because you have disobeyed, you are not permitted to enter into the promised land. I'll let you go up on a mountain. I'll let you see what you were leading your people to, but you cannot step foot into it. And Moses died having never stepped foot into the promised land that he was leading the people to. Now fast forward to the transfiguration. In the presence of the glory of Jesus Christ and in resurrection, Moses stood where his previous life had disqualified him from being. And I want to tell you today that some of you feel disqualified from the love of God. Some of you feel separated from him by your choices, by what you have not done. And when God comes on the inside and transfigures you, when he shines his light inside you, and he turns your spirit that was once dead into a living thing, that is where the true, true change comes. During first service, during a particularly quiet point in worship, I hear my son go, Dad, Dad. And of course, it's always your kid when it's really quiet, right? <laughs> but I heard the voice of my boy, and there was other kids in this room, and I knew the second it was my son. And I turned around, and I picked him up, and he came over, and he just held him, and he was cuddling on me and everything during worship, during the last song. And before I came on stage for the first service, I was looking in a mirror to make sure that I was aligned and buttons were good and, you know, all of this stuff, right? And my shirt was wrinkled. It might still be wrinkled right here where he was. I ironed this shirt before I came here today. I want it to look good for you. I'm not embarrassed to have wrinkles on my shirt because my son wanted to cuddle me. Your father in heaven is not embarrassed of the wrinkles that you might put on him because you can't. He's perfect. He wants your brokenness. He wants your dirtiness. He wants your shame. He wants everything that you think separates you from him. And he wants you to run to him. And he wants to hold you today. So I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads with me today. And if you're in this place and you've never made that decision to make the conscious surrender of the ownership of your life to Jesus, the one who through perfect obedience and perseverance endured the cross, despising its shame for the joy that was set before him. This is you. In a moment, we're going to say a prayer together. And it is not the prayer that saves you. It is not the order of the words that saves you. But it is the posture of your heart towards your Father in heaven, recognizing that by your sin you are separated from Him and that the only way, the only way home is by accepting the free offering of grace that Jesus gives you, by believing that the shedding of His blood atones for all of your sin and that in that moment where you receive forgiveness, you can come home to your Father who is in heaven 
who wants to hold you, speak to you, and empower you to do great things. So let's say this prayer together. If you want to make that decision, say it by faith today. Let's all together say, Lord Jesus, thank you. I believe you lived a perfect life, that you died, but that you rose again, defeating death and atoning for sin. Thank you that I can come home today because of you. I receive forgiveness. Holy Spirit, breathe in me. Give me faith. Guide me every day. My life is yours. In Jesus' name, amen. And with your eyes closed and your heads bowed, I just want to ask you, if you said that prayer for the first time today, I'm going to count to three. I want you to slip up your hand and show me that you made that decision to change the direction of your life and trust Jesus today. One, two, and three. I thank you. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see all those hands in the back there. I see your hands. I see your hands. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, because real change is only possible because of you. I thank you, God, that you give faith where it wasn't existed before. I thank you, Jesus, that eternity changed in this room today because of what you did on the cross. I thank you, God, that you show us what obedience is. You show us how to persevere. And I pray, Father, that where faith needs to come over situations that seem impossible, that it would come today. Holy Spirit, breathe into your people this morning. Breathe into your people this afternoon and give something fresh, a fresh impartation to believe that things will change in the name of Jesus. I pray, Father God, that we would continue to see the move of God in this church, the move of God in families, the move of God in individual lives, and see you continue to empower your people who you love so very much. Jesus, we honor you. We worship you. In Jesus' name.